The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should consider obtaining independent advice before making any financial decisions. Hi, this is Barry Fitzgerald, Garen Perro columnist for Stockhead. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers Podcast. We're shifting our focus today from WA to the mineral riches of Brazil, where ASX-listed Centaurus Metals has been active for more than a decade, initially in the iron ore space, and now in the nickel sulphide space, all for the battery revolution, of course. The company trades under the ticker CTM, or Charlie Tango Mike, and at last traded at 75 cents for a market cap of 245 million. The stock went through a share consolidation earlier this year, but by Garen Perro's reckoning, it's up probably fivefold for the year to date. Now, juniors can only ever get away a share consolidation if they have a quality project on their hands, one with serious near-term development potential and one geared to a commodity expected to outperform in the years ahead. Centaurus has that with its Jaguar nickel sulphide project in Brazil's minerals-rich Carajás region. It acquired the project from Brazil's mining heavyweight Vale last last year and has since gone on to confirm a maiden resource estimate of more than 500,000 tonnes of nickel. In this market, only BHP has a bigger resource base. So Centaurus has started to command the attention of investors as it sets about completing a scoping study as well as continuing to grow the size of the resource. Aspirationally at least, Centaurus reckons Jaguar has the makings of a 200,000 tonne per annum nickel sulphide uh, production capability. That sort of production would command valuation metrics at multiples of Centaurus's current market cap. So needless to say, Darren and his team are flat chat making it all happen. There's a lot to talk about, including where the group's long-held jam Brero iron ore project is in these times of boomtime iron ore prices. So with that, I'm going to welcome Darren to the podcast. Hola, Darren, and thanks for your time today. Hey, how are you, Barry? Great to be here. Apologies for my schoolboy uh, Portuguese there. <laughs> uh, thanks for your time today, mate. So, uh, if we could start out just to fill in uh, for some of the listeners, tell us a bit about your professional background, how long you've been with the company and what your Portuguese is like by now. <laughs> my Portuguese should really be better than what it is after spending sort of uh, 12 years in Brazil. Um back and forward all the time. But uh, uh, yeah, look, I, I have a background in finance and accounting, um, started life as a chartered accountant and sort of worked on a lot of uh, mining clients, uh, progressed through and joined uh, Jindalby Metals as CFO there, um, spent about nine years there and then sort of made the transition sort of 2008, 2009 into the CEO MD role um, with what was Glengarry then. Um, we were able to merge with Centaurus Resources, um, and as you alluded to, we were sort of started life in Brazil with the um, with iron ore um, and made a really good fist of a of a pretty neat project um, before we got the headwinds of uh, 2014-15. So um, I think that the time in Brazil early on has sort of put us in good stead and really got us to the position where we were able to do this deal with Vale on the on the nickel project. Um, I don't mm-hmm. think it would have happened without sort of that history in Brazil and sort of showing the, yep, the proof of work, for, I guess. 
well, remaining faithful to the country for what, more than 10 years while others have dipped in and out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that that's a very real thing over there. Um, you've got to build relationships. You've got to show that you're genuine in your efforts um, to get a project up and running. And as I touched on, you know, the the iron ore project was one that we took through to being development ready. Um, and I think that work is sort of being seen by Vale as really important and, you know, enabled us to structure the deal with them the way that we did, predominantly back-ended consideration and royalties. Now, they wouldn't be doing that if they... Uh, didn't think that we could get the, this project up yeah, into production. Sure. Uh, just before we jump into uh, Jaguar, it might be best just to uh, get uh, what the position with the Gem- and Gembrero iron ore project is, given iron ore prices are off the scale at the moment. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a, it's an interesting one. We've we've always had the issue that it, with the project that it needed an offtake to be able to get to production. It was predominantly a domestic market supply situation now with prices where they are today that's a little bit different but you've still got to go out and get the project financed probably only needs about 30 million us dollars to to get it up and running um so we still have conversations there's things that are happening in the background but you know we we have evolved and um we're we've got a uh, i guess a base that's so focused on the nickel because it's such a great project but at the same time i'm still um, very much pushing to try to get some sort of value-adding step going with the um, with the iron ore project. Right. Okay. Now, Jaguar. Uh, talk us through Jaguar's history under Vale before Centaurus's arrival and the JORC, or what we'd call a stock exchange compliant resource put out by Centaurus in April this year. Yeah. So, look, I mean, Jaguar was, a, I, I guess, a project that was sitting in Vale's portfolio for a number of years. They pre- did most of their drilling between 2006 and 2010. Um, they had a non-jork resource attaching to that, but it was never really in the in the public domain as such. And it was through um, Roger Fitzharding, our ops manager, and, uh, and our geologist in Brazil that we we're aware of the the project. Um, and yeah, we were able to approach Vale about it. Um, so. I guess what we did when we acquired the project, it had about 55,000 metres of valley drilling and we set about you know, doing the drilling that we needed to do to uh, get the resource up um, to Jork standards and that happened in uh, June this year. So we added about 10,000 metres of diamond drilling on top of the 55,000 metres that Vale had drilled um, and we were able to put together this very significant um, resource of sort of over 500,000 tonnes of contained metal. Right. The, uh, and I understand, importantly, 80% is of that resource is less than 80 metres deep. Oh, sorry, 200 metres deep. Yeah, look, this is, the, the deposit here is quite unique. Um, it's high-grade mineralisation relatively close to surface um, as it stands at the moment. It's, um, we do have a large portion of that sitting in the top 200 metres. We think that that's going to make this project very amenable to open-pit mining operations. Um, and yeah, I think what that fundamentally means for us and our shareholders is that we should have a relatively low operating cost environment um, to be able to get this project up and running. We're not going to have to get into underground activities straight away, but we do think that there's definitely underground potential as we drill deeper into the project. Mm. Uh, Is there uh, any high-grade components to the ore body that uh, might kick you off with a startup pit? Yeah, look, I mean... I think broadly, um, we looked at this when we first picked it up as, as being a high-grade project. So Vale, we're looking at this as a, 
I guess, a big, broad um, uh, system, uh, probably average lower grades, but there was a number of high-grade zones which we saw in their drilling, which we've followed up and we've closed in, and now we've been able to wrap our own resources around that. I think it, we've got a high-grade component of our resource, which is sort of a bit over 20 million tonnes at sort of 1.5% nickel, so a bit over 300,000 tonnes. So with that, we've been able to sort of hone in on where those high-grade zones are. Um, and more recently, we've had some really good success in a, in a part of the deposit or part of the project called uh, Jaguar Central, um, where we've found this sort of, I guess, shallow plunging high-grade chute um, sitting within the uh, broader mineralisation. And uh, that for us, I think, will be quite interesting. When we did the resource back in June, we only had, I think, four drill holes of our own on top of the Vale drilling into that, um, which still allowed us to put a resource there. But um, we think that will, that resource will grow with the drilling that we've done over the last six months in the area. Right. So currently uh, you're drilling away, are you? Absolutely, yep. We've got five rigs on site, um, four diamond rigs and one RC rig. I think most of the drilling at the moment has been on sort of some infill work. Um, and that infill works all designed to get our, a larger portion of our resource up from inferred to indicated, and that will then allow us to be able to put scoping study numbers into the market uh, next year, early next year. We've got a, another rig that's sort of doing step-out holes, um, and I think the, the mineralisation that we sort of uh, saw visually and, re and reported into the market last week was a function of that sort of step-out drilling. Um, so that's been good. And then we've got an RC rig working on some regional targets out in the western portion of the tenement. And, you know, that's obviously Greenfields type work early days, but uh, hopefully we can start to generate some new targets and some new deposits with that, that work. Okay. Uh, are you well funded for this, this program? Yeah, we've probably still got about $25 million. Um, we completed an equity raise back in July and um, that, funding will see us through you know all the drilling we need to do we've got i think about seventy-five thousand meters of drilling planned through to the end of 2021 um as i said that's a function of infill that's extensional that step out it's um doing some uh sort of regional greenfields work um, there's some geotech drilling in there that you know for project help define the project um, combining that with scoping study and pre-feasibility study work you know, we're we're well placed to fund all of that through to the end of next year. Okay. Uh, historically, historically, at least, that was a big raise by the company. I was just wondering, was there a change, a complexion of the share register with that raise? Yeah, look, I mean, I think as you alluded to right at the start, you know, this is a project that's in the, the right thematic right now. Um, people are starting to pay a lot more attention. The register is evolving from being... Uh, sort of retail high net worth to uh, a little bit more institutionalised. And, you know, obviously that, that's good for everyone because we've had a nice re-rate in our, in our valuation. Um, but, yeah, the raise really did sort of allow us to bring in a number of new investors. I guess one of the big ones of those that cornerstone the raise was a group called uh, Dundee Goodman Merchant Partners out of Toronto. Um, very well regarded sort of resource investors do a lot of, technical DD before they actually invest. Um, so that's given us a lot of confidence in the project as well to have groups like that sitting behind us.
Mm, absolutely. Uh, now we keep, uh, I keep mentioning the, the nickel sulfide aspect of the project as distinct from, say, MPI out of uh, Indonesia. Just tell me where, what's the importance of uh, having a nickel sulfide project as this uh, electric vehicle storage of renewable energy thematic in batteries uh, pans out? Yeah, look, I mean, if you if you if you're trying to supply class one nickel into the into the EV market, you pretty much need to source that from sulphide projects or from laterite projects that then need a HPL process, so high pressure acid leach. Um, I guess the big difference between all of that is that uh, high pressure acid leach is is very expensive from a capital intensity perspective. Um, you know, a sulphide projects probably you know at least one tenth of the cost from a capital point of view compared to some of these laterite projects for the same level of production mm. um you know with that we have a sulfide project that is you know relatively high grade in the scheme of things so i think this is going to hold us in really good position um put us at a point where we we're, we're aiming to be producing by the middle of this decade um which is you know what we think will be a real kick up in um, the whole ev market Mm, uh, just reading this morning, actually, Macquarie Macquarie's just uh, substantially upgraded their EV penetration uh, figures. Um, it seems to be on in a big way. You uh, got a Tesla in the garage yourself? Uh, not yet. Uh, not yet. Well, you're like me, still driving the Kia, are you? <laughs> <laughs> Mazda in my case there, uh, Barry, but uh, it's... Uh, it's uh, yeah, look, it's definitely happening. Um, you're seeing it, it's, but I think it will be that whole thing about market penetration, being able to get the price of these vehicles down a little bit. Um, hopefully, governments can do a bit more work from you know subsidising that, particularly in Australia. You see that in other countries. Um, you're definitely seeing over in in Europe. There's a massive push to convert the internal combustion engine factories into EV factories and um, be able to transition their whole car industry. So. I think I think it's definitely on, um, and we're really at the start of it. But um, you know, I think people are quickly catching up that it's something that they've got to be investing in. Yeah. Now the uh, scoping study um, nowadays, unfortunately, um, there's not a lot uh, that can be reported from internal scoping studies. But just run us through this aspirational target you've put out there, this twenty thousand tonne sort of production target from you know, yeah. the middle of the decade sort of thing. Yeah, look, I mean, I guess the way that we've looked at it is we've got a resource, we know the scale of that resource, we we know where we want to be heading and we know when we want to be getting there. Um, so for us, it's been about trying to um, give the market a sense of the scale of the project or at least the potential right. of the scale of the project. And, you know, 20,000 tonnes of recovered nickel metal is, is a globally significant project. It's got a take a lot of work to get there but um, that for us is a is a really good target to have um, the guys are working really hard to achieve that so yeah I mean scoping study wise we are doing a lot of work around that right now um, and we should be in a position where um, first quarter next year we can put the scoping study detail into the market because we should have sufficient indicated resource to be able to support the um, production forecasts um, mm. and meet all of our ASX requirements. Mm. And when you say uh, first quarter, that's uh, calendar year, first quarter? Yeah, March quarter? yeah, correct. Yeah, correct. So the March quarter next year. Um, yeah, we've we've got an active program going on now where we're, we're trying to do a resource upgrade and get that out by the end of January. Um, we are then looking to be um, 
completing the scoping study sort of late Feb, early March and sort of been reporting in that, definitely in that March quarter. Mm. Uh, one thing that's interested me with the project is the ability to uh, leverage off uh, the infrastructure of the Karajas, major mining province of the world. Can you just talk us through that? Is there um, that ability to access infrastructure in that region to uh, keep capital costs low and uh, speed up the move into production, I guess? Yeah, look, I think that's one thing that gets missed quite a lot. Um, you know, people talk about Brazil and sometimes people consider Brazil a lot harder than Australia and, uh, you know, everyone gets used to what they're familiar with. But, you know, we are quite familiar with Brazil and when you're in Brazil, the Carajás is probably no better place to be from a mining jurisdiction point of view. So, you know, Vale have been operating in that region for 30 or 40 years, Um probably 40 years now, and they've, you know, built very, very large mines. So you've got S11D, which is the, you know, very high grade, largest iron ore mine globally, you know, best quality material coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got the Salobo copper mine, which is, again, you know, very big IOCG deposit, um, probably second largest IOCG behind Olympic Dam globally. So, you know, that's a project that's, you know, 36 million tonnes. But, with that investment that Vale's made, there's just a lot of infrastructure that's been put into the region. So, you know, you can fly into Carajas Airstrip on a 737 jet. You've got a, a, a population in Pebas, which is the hub of the Carajas of about 250,000 people. You've got sealed roads, you've got high voltage power lines, you've got plenty of water. So you are able to get a project up and running relatively easily um, simply because you're in a part of the world where there is so much infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's going to have a, a huge impact on our ability to get uh, Jaguar up and running. And, you know, I'm very confident that we'll be able to do that pretty seamlessly. Right. Uh, permitting, what's that like in Brazil compared to Australia? Well, I guess for now, like I, I, I probably lost track of uh, how you permit a project in, in Australia, mm-hmm. but I guess... Just going by my only examples as you know, we tried to, when I was at Jindalbi, we, we were trying to permit the Carrara iron ore project and that probably took over three years to get permitted. So um, it's not easy in Australia, and I, but in Brazil, I still think we're on a, on a pretty uh, clear path. Um, we licensed our iron ore project and got that through to being development ready where we could actually build the project. Um, our country manager in Brazil, Bruno Scarpelli, led the charge with that approval process. He's um, worked at Vale previously where he's got approvals for Salobo and S11D. Mm-hmm. So you know, we've got the right people. We understand the process. We deal with the environmental agency who have given us terms of reference um, and it's really just a, it is a process. So, you know, we know everything that we've got to do. We don't see any impediments in the approval process, but it probably is still the time determining factor to getting the project up and running. So, you know, we spend a lot of time on it. We, you know, I guess risk manage around that and make sure that we're doing everything that we can to be able to get that uh, approval process through in the shortest possible time. Mm. Uh, obvious question, of course, I should have asked is <clears throat> if, You'll be producing a concentrate or will you be looking at some value-add options downstream processing? Yeah, yeah look, I mean, the, the base case is definitely to produce a concentrate. Um, we've done met test work that shows that we can produce a really good concentrate, you know, nice iron MGO ratio, no arsenic, no other real nasties in the, in the con, so we should be pretty comfortable to sell that. The deal that we did with Vale allows us to be able to sell um, product to them. 
Um, and I think that they would be pretty comfortable buying that concentrate for their own smelters. But it doesn't preclude us from looking at value-add opportunities. And mm. you know, given the EV thematic right now, it does seem to make sense to have a look at going down that value path to either produce metal or sulphate. Um, and you can do that with a pressure oxidation circuit. So part of our scoping study is to investigate um, the capital and operating costs of those value-adding steps. There's some pretty sensible reasons uh, why we look at it. Um, first and foremost being that power costs in Brazil are, are, are very competitive. So you're probably under 10 cents a kilowatt hour for uh, US dollar um, power, which just means that you've got relatively low operating costs for running oxygen plants mm. um, you probably wouldn't have that opportunity in australia certainly in west australia where there's a lot of nickel but there's also relatively high power costs so you know we we feel that we've, there's some unique attributes to brazil that make that value adding opportunity a real one um, and we'll do the work during the course of the scoping study to demonstrate what that looks like mm. uh, the cheaper power in brazil is that <clears throat> hydroelectric yeah, predominantly. So, yeah, I think Brazil's power is about 80% renewables now. And I think hydro is probably up 65 or 70% of their overall power generation. So that's that's a positive. There's a grid system through the whole of the country. So, as I said, it's grid power that runs um, through that carriage quite extensively. Um, we've got a 138 kV line sort of running through Chukama, which is the township where we base ourselves. It's about 35 kilometres from the project um, and there's you know Vale have also got you know big power system running into their Onsa Puma um, ferro-nickel plant which is only 15 kilometres away from the project so you know plenty of power in the region um, and you know very comfortable that we can access that. Mm. And uh, given the growth of uh, ESG considerations around the world the ability to produce quote-unquote green nickel uh, will hold you in good stead I imagine. Absolutely. I mean, that, it's definitely a, a thematic that's coming through on the investment side. It's one of the, you know, for example, it's one of the key things that uh, that Dundee looked at, you know, yeah. when they came and invested as to sort of what the project was going to look like and how we met sort of these sort of ESG investing principles. Um, so we're doing a lot of work around that. But yeah, I mean, you're going to be um, producing a metal, you're going to be putting inert tailings potentially into a tailings dam. Um, you've got hydro generated power. So yeah, like you, you, you're pretty much on a path where you're doing everything you possibly can to, I guess, maximize, or, or I guess better way of putting it is to minimize your sort of impact on the globe. Mm, okay. Alrighty then. So if I could get you just to bring it all together and perhaps give investors a feel for what they should be looking out for in the next three to six months from the company and particularly Jaguar. Yeah, look, I mean, so we, we've got ongoing drilling. Um, your readers or listeners probably would have seen um, that we've had some really nice drill holes. Um, I think that's quite important that, you know, even after drilling 75,000 odd metres into the project already, we're still finding intersections which look like they're going to be the close to the best hole that we've seen on the project to date, and that includes Vale drilling. So. I think the expiration upside as we drill deeper and step out further is is still quite large. So um, we'll have you know obviously results from drilling through the next twelve months. Um, we are going to take the drilling that we do now. We'll draw a line in the sand uh, towards the end of December. We will do a resource upgrade, um, which will then facilitate us being able to put scoping study numbers into the market. So as I said, hopefully the resource comes through towards the end of January. 
um, and then be looking to sort of get the scoping study out um, come uh, early March, uh, late Feb. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the way, the way we see it right now is that, you know, we would expect that we'll be rolling straight into pre-feasibility study. Like, you know, back of the envelope stuff says, you know, that this is a, a very good project. So we're, we're sort of planning that we're going to be going through to those next phases. And then, you know, obviously there's the work that goes on with pre-feasibility study work. I think, you know, outside of that, there's a lot of other things going on as far as, you know, advancing your approvals and, you know, dealing with land access and all of that. Um, and these, there's a lot of work that goes on in the background and hopefully we can make some comment into the market about those things as we sort of tick some of those milestones. But I think broadly, um, back to your question, it's going to be more drill results, hopefully making new discoveries, make, finding new zones at depth, expanding the resource and then being able to demonstrate the, the strong economics that we expect through the uh, delivery of the scoping study. Okay then, all right, so there we are folks. Uh, interesting mix there of continuing high impact exploration, I guess, and a development story at the same time in a metal that the world's going to need a lot more of as the EV revolution and battery storage of renewable energy uh, takes hold. So with that, I'm going to thank uh, Darren for his time today and uh, wish him all the best with the project. Good on you, Darren. Yeah, thanks, Barry. Look, really appreciate the opportunity to have a chat and um, for all the listeners out there who are shareholders, uh, thanks for your support and uh, hopefully we have another really big year in 2021.